Good morning, River Rock. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, I'm excited to be here. We're continuing our series in Hebrews chapter 11. This whole year we've been making our way through looking at this uh, hall of faith, hall of fame for the faith, and uh, the writer of Hebrews is drawing attention to all these people who've gone before, who have these amazing stories of faith. And uh, this morning we're coming to one that, that um, I know for me, has, uh, has spoken to me a lot this week as I've prepared this message and uh, thought about it. Because uh, I don't know if, if you're anything like me, but um, sometimes I struggle with my past. Uh, I've made a, a lot of mistakes in my life, and there are times when I feel like God wants to use me, but there's something inside of me, uh, there's some outside voice at times, the enemy comes and whispers and says, how could God ever use someone like you to do what he wants to do after what you've done? And we know that that, that is the enemy. We know that that is not reality because the reality is that God, through Jesus Christ, has, has given us a hope, he's given us a future, and he has made us a new creation, yet there's something inside of me that continues to struggle with that. And I don't know if you're like me, uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and there's a part of your past that you just continue to struggle with, but I believe this morning we're going to see um, that God is much greater than our past, and that God's desire is to, to not only uh, uh, move us past our past, but to give us a future, to give us faith that wins, to show us what it means to win by faith. And so I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and I, I want us to think about changing the scorecard this morning of what we consider a win and what we consider a victory and, and what we think when we consider whether or not God can use us. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. It says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. So this is coming shortly after uh, the, uh, if we go back to verse 30, it talks about the people of Israel crossing the Jordan, crossing over into the, Red, uh, into the promised land to finally take possession of the land. Remember, God has led them out of Egypt and for 40 years they wander in the desert because of their own disobedience. And what's interesting is that the writer of Hebrews goes immediately from, hey, they crossed the Red Sea, Moses leads them out, they crossed the Red Sea, to the Battle of Jericho. He skips over these 40 years. I don't know about you, but if I were writing about the faith of Israel, I would, I would have probably written something about those 40 years. I probably would have called that one faith wandering, right? Because they just wandered in the desert. But here's the thing. He doesn't record anything about those 40 years because those were 40 years of not faith, but lack of faith on the part of Israel. And just like we, we have here the story of Rahab the prostitute, and you're like, how could someone that's a prostitute be considered in the hall of faith? What we need to realize is that God, through our faith, Faith only records the victories, not our failures. Faith only records the victories, not our failures. And we're going to see that this morning with Rahab, someone who has a past, but someone in whom God developed a faith to move her forward so that, that he, she, would, she would have a, a faith that wins, that she would be successful, that he would move her from futility to fruitfulness. And we're going to see that. So here we are. We're at the Battle of Jericho. 
Israel has left Egypt under the leadership of Moses. They, through their disobedience and, and uh, unwillingness to go in and take possession of the land, even though God is with them, end up wandering in the desert for 40 years while that entire generation that left Egypt as adults dies out and God says, hey, it's going to be your kids. I have to raise up a whole new generation because of your unfaithfulness. So that generation dies out and Moses actually dies as well and hands over leadership to Joshua. And Joshua is now in charge of the people of Israel and it's his job to lead the people across the Red Sea. Uh, excuse me, across uh, the Jordan River. So they get to the Jordan River, and Joshua says, you know what, we need some intel before we go, because the first city we're going to come to is this heavily fortified city named Jericho. They have walls, these giant walls, and archaeology shows that the walls were, uh, there were actually two walls that were both about 30 feet high. Uh, The inner wall was about 12 feet thick, and the outer wall was about 6 feet thick. And so Joshua says, we need to find a way to to get some intel about this battle that's upcoming. And so he sends two spies into the land, into Jericho, to figure out uh, what might be a good battle plan. And so these spies come into Jericho, but the people of Jericho hear that there are spies from the nation of Israel, and they're afraid because they'd heard everything that God had done. They heard about the Red Sea. They heard about these other kings, Canaanite kings, that Israel had just completely demolished, and they're afraid. And so when they hear that these two spies have come, uh, they begin to search for them, and the spies thinking through what would be a good plan, where could we go to hide that might give us a little bit of cover, Um, they end up at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, why is this such a good idea? Well, because men are coming in and out of that establishment regularly, right? That's just kind of the model of business, so no one would think twice, really, about uh, these strangers coming in and out of her house, And so they end up in the house of Rahab, and the king hears that they're at Rahab's house. And so the king sends his men and says, hey, bring out the spies. And Rahab does something that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. She lies, right? She she lies and says, oh, they went that way, uh, when really she's hiding them up on her roof. And so she sends the king's men away to look for the spies somewhere else. And then she comes back to the spies. uh, And let's let's just read a little bit of Joshua chapter 2. Uh, beginning in chapter 2, looking at verse 3. Let's read a little bit of what happens. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as, as soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og and the two Amorite kings, completely, uh, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is a God 
Is God in heaven above and on earth below? Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sister, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. So she asks for this promise. She says, look, I've saved your life. Now I need you to save my life. And they give her a promise. They say, hey, because you've saved our life, because you've demonstrated faith in our God, we will spare your life. But here's the thing. You're going to have to put this red cord in your window, this red rope out of your window, so that all the people of Israel will know not to come destroy this house and anyone in it. And we're only responsible for the people that are in this house when the battle comes. So you need to get your family, you need to bring them here, and they'll be safe. So she makes this arrangement with them, and then she lets them out of the window of her house because she lives on on the wall. As we mentioned earlier, these walls were about 12 feet and 6 feet thick, and they were about 15 feet apart and 30 feet high. And what they would do is they would put a bunch of planks across the wall so that they could actually build houses on top of and into the walls. So she lives on this outer wall and is able to let the men out, and they get out and they escape. And she tells them, look, go hide for three days. The men will get tired of looking for you, and they'll come back to the city. And then you can go on your way back to your camp. And so that's what they do. And they get back to camp, and they tell Joshua, they, they give him a great report. They say, everyone in Jericho is panicking because of us, because they know that God is with us. And so Joshua then gets the people ready. He says, it's time for us to cross the Jordan. And they come to the Jordan, and just like God did with the Red Sea, he stops the Jordan in its flood stage, and the water just begins to wall up, and the people of Israel cross on dry land. They get to the other side, they build a monument, and Joshua says, now it's time to prepare for battle. And here's the crazy thing. Remember how the spies went in to look for intel to figure out how they were going to win this battle? God says, I've got a new battle plan. He says, Joshua, I want you to march with the people of Israel around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And every time you march around, it's supposed to be in silence. So you march, day one, silence. Go home. Day two, repeat the same thing, all the way to day seven. On day seven, you're going to march around the city seven times. And when you've marched around the city the seventh time, you're going to let out a shout to the Lord and the walls of Jericho will come tumbling down. You guys remember the song from Sunday school. And the walls come tumbling down, right? So they do that, and the walls come tumbling down. And then let's look at chapter 6 and see what happens to Rahab. So we know that the battle is about to take place, and we're in uh, verse 17 of chapter 6, and Joshua says this. He says, then he said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, give me a sign, uh, Oh, I'm in Judges. That's the wrong book. Started with a J. I flipped a little too far. Didn't think that sounded right. Joshua 17, this is chapter 6, verse 17. It says, this is Joshua speaking. He says, the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone in her house will live because she hid the men we sent. Skip down to verse 21. He says, they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young, old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. So what's happened is God says, hey, you have to completely wipe out everything in this city or you'll be tempted to sin and worship pagan gods just like they do. And so they go in and they wipe everything out. The only thing they take are the precious metals and they put those in the treasury of the Lord. Skip down to verse 23 and 24. 
Joshua sends the young men, the spies that had, he had sent earlier in, and he says, so the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. So Joshua sends the men in, and they go and they bring Rahab out. And what's amazing, as we're going to see later on, is that Rahab begins a new life with the people of Israel. She eventually gets married, and, and her story is, and her descendants are later recorded. And it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, in fact, she ends up being in the line of Jesus. She's one of three women who's mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. A prostitute. Someone with a past. Someone that was unlikely, that other people would have looked at and said, why in the world would you include this woman in this story? Why would, why would God choose to use someone like this? Well, what I want us to see this morning is that Rahab had a winning faith. She had a winning faith. She was winning by faith. God was using her, and he was changing her life in the process. So I want us to think about what does it look like to win by faith? What does it look like to have faith that wins? Because a lot of us, at times, if you're like me, sometimes you feel like a loser because of your past. But God looks at us and he says, by faith, I'm going to transform you. By faith, I'm going to change you. The first thing that I want us to see about Rahab is that faith takes risks. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 2 and read verses 3 through 7 again. It says, Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men, hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the gate was closed, the men went out, and I didn't know that where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the gate was shut. She is taking a major risk here. What we need to understand is that winning faith takes risks. She's taking a huge risk in hiding these men. Now let's, let's first talk about the lie, right? That's the big thing we've got to get out of the way, because is Scripture saying that it's okay to lie? Is Scripture really saying that it's okay from time to time, or if our motives are right, that it's okay for us to lie. And, you know, as I researched this, as I read about this, I, I read a number of different uh, scholars, and, you know, some say, well, this is a time of war, and so lying's okay in a time of war. And then I had another s- scholar that I read who said, you know what, um, this lie is probably okay because she's actually putting herself in danger in order to save the lives of others. And so her lie is not for her own benefit, but for the benefit of others. But I really wrestled with that because here's the reality, is that I don't think we can ever condone what Scripture so clearly condemns. We can never say that it's okay to lie. We just can't get around that. But here's what I can say about this. I believe Rahab already had saving faith in God before the spies came into the city. She had enough faith to know that she needed to trust in God, but she had no working knowledge of the practical things of life and the laws and the commands that God had given. So I think perhaps maybe we ought to give her a little bit of grace and understand that here is a a new believer. Here is someone who has faith 
for salvation in God, but has no, no working knowledge of the day-to-day uh, faith and what it looks like to live that out. So we have this very young, immature believer, and what we have to realize is that spiritual maturity uh, is not something that is instantaneous. It takes time. And so I think out of her ignorance, she lies. All right? How many of you, since becoming a believer of Jesus Christ, have ever told a lie, right? I think we can give her a little bit of grace in this area and understand that Scripture is not condoning the lie. But what it is saying is that here is someone who had faith, and her faith is not in the lie. Her faith is in helping the spies. Because think about everything that this would have cost her. She could have said, yeah, come on in. Um, they're, they're up on the roof. Go get them. And she would have been a hero. She would have been the hero of Jericho. But instead, she chooses to cast her lot in with God and his people. And she hides the spies. And she takes care of them. Now think about this. They tell her that she has to go and get her family and bring all of them in. You imagine trying to tell your family and explain to your family what you're doing. She's running the risk of rejection. She's running the risk of her family thinking that she's a traitor. She runs the risk of her family going to the king and telling him the plan and everything that's about to happen. She's taking a number of risks here. And I think it's a great example for us. It's a great reminder to us that, that we ought to be taking risks in our faith. Um, one of the 19th century uh, first missionaries to inland China, in inland China, Hudson Taylor, said this. He says, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Yet how many of us are perfectly happy to sit back and just be comfortable in our faith? Do what makes me feel good. Do what's easy. Yet I believe God calls us to take risks. God calls us to risk rejection of our family. God calls us to risk the awkwardness of a conversation of some, with someone else about Jesus Christ. God calls us to take risks in giving up our own security financially to give to him first out of our first fruits. God calls us to take a risk and give up some of our comfort to go on a mission trip to Mexico in July without air conditioning. Right? God, at times, calls us to take risks. And I want to challenge you this morning, River Rock Bible Church, what are some of the risks that God is calling you to take? And are, are you willing to step out in faith and take some of those risks? Rahab, uh, as I said before, I believe she already had saving faith before the spies come to Israel, uh, into Jericho. I believe she already had put her faith in God. And here we see she puts her faith into action. She puts her faith into action. In James chapter 2, Rahab is listed. There's two people that are given as an example of faith. Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, and Rahab. Because they put their faith into action. Rahab here puts her faith into action and she takes a risk. Now, the question is, why is she willing to take such a risk? Let's look at verses 8 and following. Chapter 2 of Joshua, verse 8 says, before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, listen to this. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land 
and that terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in this land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, on, heaven above and on earth below. So why is she willing to take such a risk? She doesn't have complete knowledge of God yet, does she? But what does she know? She lists a number of things that she does know. Uh, She says, hey, look, I know the personal name of God. When it says Lord in our English translation, she's actually using the personal name of God. She calls him by his personal name, Yahweh. And she says, I know that Yahweh intervened for you. I know that he parted the Red Seas. I know that, and she recognizes that the defeat of these other kings in Canaan were not because of the people of Israel, but because God was working on their behalf. She has such great faith in God. And she has this faith before the spies even get there. So how is it that she comes to faith? I believe that, number one, she wasn't probably alive when Israel was crossing the Red Sea. That this, she had heard the story. And I imagine the number of visitors that she welcomed over the years told her stories of what was happening through the people of Israel because of God's favor, because God was with them. And she hears these stories, and she trusts in them. Now, what's interesting is that the rest of Jericho is terrified because of God. She chooses to trust in God. They choose to be terrified because of God. And she acts on what she does know instead of being paralyzed by fear of what she doesn't know. And this is what I want us to see is that winning faith acts on what it does know instead of being paralyzed to inaction because of what it doesn't know. She didn't know everything about God. She didn't know everything that God was going to do, but she knew enough about God. I love her statement that he is God of heaven above and of earth below. She understands that God is transcendent. He is above us. He is greater than us, but he is also personal. He is with us. And he is present with us. So she doesn't know everything, but she knows enough to put her faith in God. She has this faith, and it moves her to act. It moves her to believe and not to fear, whereas the people of Jericho can do nothing but fear. And here's the reality is that knowledge of God can either terrorize us or transform us. Knowledge of God can either terrorize us or transform us. The people of Jericho were terrorized by their, what they knew of God. Rahab is transformed by it. She says, I don't know everything, but what I do know, I'm going to put my trust in that, and I'm going to allow that to begin to transform me. Hebrews 11, verse 31, we read about uh, Rahab, and it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Some translations say, with the unbelieving. Because of her faith, she doesn't perish. She's not destroyed. She's not terrorized. She acts. She moves. She doesn't have all the answers. She doesn't know how everything will turn out. But by faith, she acts on what she does know. Now, I believe that at times, those of us who have faith in God, we claim to have this faith in God, yet We are so paralyzed by the unknown. We're terrorized by what we don't know, and it moves us to inaction. 
I want us to see that, that rather than taking risks and acting on what we do know, we often let the fear of the unknown lead us to inaction, to idleness, and to stagnation. And when God calls you to do something, ask yourself this question. When God calls you to do something without revealing to you how it's going to turn out or what the end result is going to be, do you step out in faith and say, God, I know you're calling me to do this, to give this, to go here, to talk to this person, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know God, and I know you're calling me to do it, so I'm going to step out in faith and do it. Or do you say, you know what, Mm, that's too much of a risk. I'm not quite sure how that's going to turn out. I'm not sure what it's going to look like if I give the first 10% of my income, so I'm just not going to do it. I'm not sure what it's going to be like when God calls me to get up in the lunchroom and go talk to that person over here and ask them about their family and and start a conversation about Jesus Christ. Because I don't know how that's going to turn out, so I'm just not going to do it. And so we allow our fear of the unknown to move us into disobedience unbelief, where God's calling us. He's saying, hey, trust in what you do know. Put your trust in what you do know. And what do we know about God? What do we know about God? We know that when he calls us, he's going to, he's going to equip us. He's, he's going to lead us through that. He's going to be with us through that whole process. doesn't mean we're going to see everything happen the way that we want it to, but we can trust and rest that the victory is in our obedience. The victory is in following him and stepping out in faith and doing what he has called us to do. When you find yourself in a situation where God has called you to do something without revealing his whole plan to you, do you step out in faith or do you cower in fear and become paralyzed and immobilized? What we see from Rahab is that she didn't have all the information that she probably needed Yet she knew enough to put her trust in God and to follow and to walk with him. And because of that, we see that God moves her from a life of futility to one of fruitfulness. God moves her from futility to fruitfulness. Look with me at Joshua chapter 6. I'll go to Joshua this time, not Judges, I promise. Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, Go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out, there, out of there and all who are with her, just as you promised her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They, they brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned up the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she lives in Israel to this day. The the author of this book is saying, hey, you can go, and she is now among God's people. She's listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And what's amazing is we know from Matthew's record that she ends up marrying a man named Salmon who becomes the father of Boaz. And if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, you know how important Boaz is. Boaz is the father of Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David. And King David is a direct ancestor to Jesus Christ. God takes this woman who has a past 
who's a liar and a prostitute. And he moves her from a life of futility to a life of fruitfulness. He gives her a future. He changes her past. He changes everything about her and places her in the family of God and and does some amazing things. Now, what's interesting is, as you read through the New Testament, she's mentioned three times in the New Testament. She's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 as Rahab, and then the two other times she's mentioned in James chapter 2, verse 25, and Hebrews 11, she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. What's interesting to me is that she never gets away from that name. Now, some people read this and they see, how is it that God could keep bringing up her past? And I believe that God is doing something here that is more amazing than we realize. The fact that she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute is not meant to demean her or to keep her from moving past her past, but it's to highlight God's grace and his mercy, that God would choose to use someone even with such a scar on their past, that God would bring healing and he would move her into a life of fruitfulness that she would be put forward as an example of what it looks like to put your faith in action, that she would be listed as one of two women in the hall of faith, the other one being Sarah herself, and that she would be put in the line of Jesus as one of his ancestors. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone who is in Jesus Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. And this is the reality for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we have to realize that our past is the past. And that in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. And God's call for us is to move out of futility to fruitfulness, to move past our past and to begin being fruitful. And I love this story because she's rescued, she's saved, not because of her moral qualities, but in spite of them. And in the same way, God saves us, not because of the good things that we've done, but in spite of them. And he uses us not because of anything good inside of us, but in spite of it. So I love this story. I love that that Rahab is saved by faith, not because of her actions, but because of her faith first and foremost in God. But then because she has faith in God, she puts her faith into action and she hides these spies because she recognizes that God is on their side. And she moves forward. She moves from being in this pagan city that's doomed for destruction to being in a community with God's people. And instead, she puts her faith into action. She takes risks. She acts on what she does know instead of being paralyzed by what she doesn't know. And she's moved from a life of futility to one of fruitfulness. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to step out and take some risks by faith. I want to encourage you when the moment comes and God calls you to something, even if you don't have all the answers, that you would act on what you do know instead of being paralyzed by fear of what you don't know. And I believe that as you do that, the result will be that God will move you from a life of futility to a life of fruitfulness. Because here's the reality. James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. Now, want to be very clear about something. James is not talking about faith for salvation, right? James has in mind the faith that we live out. We know that salvation is not by works, but by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. But what James is saying is, look, hey, if you want to experience the fullness of your faith, you've got to put it into action. 
and I believe faith without works is dead. Some, some translations may say faith without works is useless. And many of us, we have saving faith. We have our trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Yet we live futile, fruitless, dead lives because we're unwilling to put our faith into action. And I, if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to take those risks Step out in faith and watch God move you from a life of futility to one of fruitfulness as he uses you for his purposes. Now, what's interesting to me, think about this. What information did the spies gain that was necessary for the battle plan that God devised? Did God need to know how thick those walls were? Did God need to know where the fortified portions of the city were? So why is it that these spies end up in Jericho? I believe they were on a mission from Joshua. They thought their role was to go and spy out the land. But God had them on a greater mission. God was sending them to save a prostitute and her family to bring them into their own community. Now, I know many of you, tomorrow morning, you're going to go to jobs that you dread going to. You're stuck in a cubicle next to the guy that is, drives you crazy, and you dread going to that job, and you think you're going to that job because you get a paycheck. Some of you are going to go to class tomorrow, and it's a class that you hate going to, but it's required for your major. You have to have it to graduate, and you think the only reason I'm going to that class is so that I can graduate. Some of you are going to go back to a neighborhood this afternoon where you have no friends and it is the least neighborly neighborhood you've ever been in. And you think that you live here just because it's what I can afford right now. But I want to challenge you with this, that perhaps God has you at that place of work because he has a greater mission for you than to just get a paycheck. Perhaps God has you in that boring class because he has a greater mission for you than to just graduate. Perhaps God has you in a neighborhood Because he has a greater mission for you than to just pull in your driveway and shut your garage and go inside and turn on the TV. Because there is someone there that he has placed you there and your mission is to bring them into a relationship with God. That you would step out and take a risk. That you would step out even with the unknown. And that you would see their lives move from futility to fruitfulness as they put their trust in Jesus Christ. Others of you here this morning, you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope hope you can relate to the story of Rahab. Think about it. Here is this sinful woman. She and everyone around her is destined for destruction. Yet, because of her faith, by grace, God saves her. And he brings her out. And he puts her into a new life and gives her a new future. Scripture makes it absolutely clear that that is the exact same story that you and I both have. Number one, that we are sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we are destined for destruction, death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, not just a physical death, but an eternal separation from God. But because of his love for us, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And that through faith in him, 
not by works, not by our church attendance, not by how much we give, but by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by faith we are saved. And when we put our trust in Christ, as we saw earlier, God makes us a new creation. He moves us from futility to fruitfulness. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you would not leave here without speaking to me or one of our elders and asking how you can take that step. You may not have all the answers. You may not know everything you think you need to know about God. But I'm telling you right now, you have heard the reality. You have heard the truth of who God is and what he has done for you. And I'm asking you to take a risk and to step out and to put your faith in God, acting on what you do know of him and his son, Jesus Christ, instead of being paralyzed by fear of what you don't know. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this story of Rahab. God, we thank you that she gives us such a wonderful picture of what it looks like to have faith in you and then to put that faith into action. Lord, we pray for those here this morning that are in Christ, that you would give us the strength to take risks, that you would give us the strength to obey even when we don't have all the answers, and that we would be used by you, that our lives would be fruitful and not futile. Lord, for those who have yet to put their trust in Christ, I pray that they would have heard and understood the gospel, that you love them, and you sent your son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for their sins that they could be saved through faith. And while they may not know everything about you, they may not have all the answers that they think they need, Lord, they know enough now. They've heard enough to know that salvation is a free gift offered through faith in your son Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would you would help us to win, that we would have many victories recorded by faith. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.